Hey, you. Yes, you. Listen, before the podcast takes place, I want you to know from whatever how you're listening to this, whether it be on iTunes, Google Play, or some radioactive frequency wave you just have in your stoner brain of yours because you just smoked too much of that good kush or whatever the fuck you like to trip on and just can't realize you clicked on the podcast category for some dope-ass audio. Or wherever you may on right now, whether it be driving down the interstate or some fucked up traffic that you don't want to be in, Walking around the block with your purse-sized dog in one hand and gimmick Starbucks cup in the other. Walking out your place because you can't stand your annoying bitch-ass girlfriend slash boyfriend right now because you're not doing something she slash she told you for the hundredth time today. But you keep going back and you know the flame is still there. Oh, hey, you may be to be taking a shit or sipping your country at war right now because you goddamn right we support our troops. So whether this is your first time listening or a long-time staff fanatic, we here on Topics on the Pod you are here to say welcome. So sit back, relax, roll another one, or whatever the fuck you like to take the edge off, and enjoy the show, you fucking bitches. <laughs> What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? It is Jesse, a.k.a. GJ Stash, a.k.a. the host of the motherfucking podcast. And this is episode 28 on Topics on the Pod. Each every week we preview a certain topic on the podcast. Uh, sorry for people that have been uh, following the podcast as of late. I try to do it like every weekend, like Saturday, Sunday or so. I know it's the Tuesday, March 4th, if I'm recording this in my illustrious apartment in good old Central Texas. Uh, I've been pretty uh, busy this weekend, so I'll just try to get in here. So I'll probably do this one today, and then uh, the 29th will probably I'll be sure this week as well for y'all. Because I've already done that a few times, though. But, uh, you know, I did some things this weekend, just was out with a special lady, so I devoted more time for her. So, you know, I just, you know, I just, fellas, we got to spend all our time for the ladies. So, but, uh, it's a pretty good weekend. Uh, you know, this is my kind of my birthday weekend. Originally, I was planning to uh, go to Top Golf in Austin with my uh, family, my parents' side. But uh, things had to change. They went to a different uh, birthday party instead. So uh, it was no big deal for them. I mean, it was really my stepmom that was trying to like plan that. My dad didn't uh, wasn't really informed in the in the uh, in the plan. So it's all good. We decided we're gonna do that next weekend. I've I've been wanting to try that top golf. Like I looked it up in Austin before. So it's also a pretty. Ex- pretty uh, pricey too man it could be like uh i know they said before five o'clock it's like 35 bucks an hour then they said uh after then till it's like 47 bucks an hour i'm like damn man but we'll see how that is it looks fun i looked on the website it looks like they have some good food and drinks uh just caught up with a friend caught up with one of my friends that uh the name changer y'all see on the podcast way back when we talked about uh uh i forgot what's po- i mean the podcast was over the name changer but we talked about all sorts of stuff you can check that out back in the podcast Met up with him with Applebee's. We ate there, and then that was uh, Saturday, and that's when I met up with the uh, the lady friend, and we went to. Or uh, she lived in the Austin area, so I was planning on going to Austin that week anyway. Like I was saying, to do a talk off my parents, so I just went to Austin anyway. Went to uh, this arcade. Pl- or we w- checked out the domain there uh, in Austin, and uh, I thought it was like on the mall, like what she was telling me. But she hasn't been there since like they remodeled, whatever. Turns out it's like one of those outlet malls. It's like all separated, like Macy's and Dick's Sport Goods, and it's like a few restaurants, and uh, that's pretty much it. Like it was, it was pretty uh, let down. But I mean, uh, we went to uh, Pins Balls, and this little arcade place, two stories. It's always, 
it's always pretty popular, man. I mean, you think like arcades are pretty dead, but no, it's, you know, I mean, Austin's a pretty hipster town, man, if most people don't know in Austin. So we like to have, we like to do the retro stuff like that. And uh, she actually met like a lady friend. She's actually from that area. So, <clears throat> so it was kind of, kind of a uh, fun experience for her that she actually met up with her, uh, or coincidence wise, she met up with some elementary girls or friend, girlfriends of hers. So it was pretty good catching up with her. And we just hung out there and pretty much we met to my place in it. Uh, got some food. Uh, we got some, I forgot what we got to eat, but yeah. And then did Sunday, pretty much laid around. And just uh, did a few things with the, went to another club and such. And that was pretty much it for Sunday. Uh, then I'm just now lazing back here Monday morning. And then uh, also got, also forgot the uh, UFC 235 was Saturday, so. Or before this podcast, I did the recaps of that. So, but I, I didn't watch the whole event. I just watched the two co-main events. Was the uh, Woolley and Usman <clears throat> matchup, and then Jones versus Smith was a pretty pretty good matchup, guys. I really enjoyed that one. I'm trying to adjust my mic here. Sorry, if you can hear that. Yeah, I mean they both both matched with the distance. We kind of break that down a little bit. So, uh. I'm gonna get my bank here. I'm currently drinking the uh, Blue Raz, so I'm getting that open up. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm into the banks, man. That's my favorite go-to energy drinks now. It's my second one for the day, so I'm gonna be amped up because currently it's like 12 o'clock as I'm doing this podcast, so I gotta do this and edit this podcast and do a couple other things and go to my gimmick job. All right. Yeah, we just know the main topic is going to be the, uh, we're going to finish up the uh, 100 Greatest Movie Robots of All Time, Part 4. But, uh, I'll talk about the John, or the UFC 235 card. And then we'll get into Google News, and then we'll get into the main topic. Alright, so I have the on Wikipedia here. Uh... We'll just do the, the the last two. I mean, y'all can look at Wikipedia if you want to know the rest the rest of the card. But we had uh, so what's weight fight weight class? It was the main card, of course. It was Kamir Usman versus Taiwan Ruli, the champion of the time. It was a decision, unanimous decision, should I say? It was fifty forty four, fifty forty four, fifty forty five, all five rounds. Five minutes each round. Yeah, I think it was a dominated performance, man. I'm like, I, I knew I was like, it looked at first like the first couple rounds, like Tyron like Tyre was my boy, man. When I watched him in the uh, two, I think it was two, it was either two ninety eight, two ninety nine, whatever. Which one he last fought in Dallas against uh, Tyron Till, like he took him down in the submission in the second round. But I was not here, like he looked like he was calm, collective, but I don't know. Like even the commentators, it wasn't not Joe, but the other commentators like saying he needs to wake up. Looks like he wasn't like really, I don't know, fired up in this match. <clears throat> so he was taking a lot of body shots. I think it was like over a hundred body shots in this fight. And uh, that big elbow he got from uh, Usan in like this, I think it was the second round. Like that's what really did him as well. And then Tyrone just pretty much that pretty much got the good shots when they pretty much duked it out back and forth in the fourth round. That nice knee shot. That's about the only good offense I've seen from Tyrone. So. I mean, it's nice they went the distance, but it could have been a better showing, showing from uh, Tyrone. So hopefully they'll do a rematch and have a better showing. And then we have the main event, 
it was, was for the light heavyweight championship in the weight class. It was John Jones versus Anthony Smith, and uh, he defeated Anthony Smith in a decision, a man's decision. You got 48-44, 48-44, All all three uh, judges scored the same. You know, it was five rounds, five minute rounds. Uh, a lot of big controversy with that one too. I mean, uh, it was the fourth round. Anthony Smith could have took the uh, DQ from John Jones because of that legal knee shot to the to the face. But you know, it uh, looks like Anthony, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, familiar with Anthony Smith. So, but what people, who are the commentators saying that he's, you know, he's a proud fighter. He's not going to take that easy way out. So, but I'm not, I'm not too. Uh, Knowledgeable of like how that works. If he won by DQ, does he still win the title that way? Or I'm not, I'm not sure about that. So, somebody needs to inform me with that. But uh, it's good on there. I mean, John Jones didn't do any shout outs. I figure they're trying to do that Daniel Cormier match or Brock Lesnar. If that's still out and about, but we'll see if that's gonna happen or not. And then we, uh, yeah, most of it was it was uh, the Timo Arriba. It was at the T-Mobile Arena in Nevada, in Las Vegas, Nevada. The ten, this is all on Wikipedia. I'm just saying Wikipedia statistics. Uh, was, attendance was four, 14,790, and the total gate was four point, or about, it was about four, a little bit over four million. So, not too bad showing. So, that's the match of the card. Looks like they had a lot of women's matches, too. Alright, now we'll get in to some Google News. I'm going to pull it up here. I know a lot of stuff I was like I was doing the weekend. I don't know. A lot of CNN news popped up. So, let's see if we go back. Alright, go back to the Google News. A lot of deaths happened. I know this past weekend for sure. Let's see. We'll go to uh, let's go to world news. It's happening today. Or where's my recommended? I thought I had recommended news too. Mm, nah, nothing's going on there. Oh yeah, that's one of the deaths. Oh. It's, Oh, that's actually 20, oh, another one. Wow, this is happening just 23 minutes ago, actually. Here, this says, uh, Beverly Hills 90210 star Luke Perry dead at 52 after massive stroke. Just hit the news. Uh, TMZ just posted 23 minutes ago. But it said four hours ago, it said uh, Shannon Darperly says she's in contact with Luke, Luke Perry after action ho- actor's hospitalization. Let's get more into that. The load here. Alright, it says Luke Perry dead at 52, never recovered from massive stroke. It says uh, TV icon Heart Throb, who rose to fame on Beverly Hills 90210, has died after suffering a massive stroke. TZ must learn. says Luke. Passed away Monday morning at St. Jewish Hospital in Burbank. According, according to his rep, Luke was surrounded by his children, Jack and Sophie, fiance Wendy Madison Bear, ex ex wife Minnie Sharp, mother Ann Bennett, Bennett, sorry for that name, 
Stepfather, Steve Bennett, brother, Tom Perry, and uh, sister, Annie Coder, and other close family and friends. It says that we first reported he was rushed to the hospital last Wednesday morning after suffering the stroke while at his Sharon Oaks, California home. Yeah, I've heard of this show. I'm not was a big fan, but that's just what currently went on here. So, I mean, uh, rest in peace to, uh, to the guy, and I hope his uh, family... All the best in the morning of their loss. So we have to see what's going on there. Looks like there's been a lot of people dying this weekend. It's like another someone else died. There's something about uh, Game of Thrones is more uh, upbeat. Alright, so it's Game of Thrones Season 8 set to in include the longest consecutive battle sequence ever committed to film. Does that mean just a Game of Thrones or a film in general? Let's see, it says, while the story doesn't contain direct spoilers, those who want to know nothing about Game of Thrones Season 8 should turn away now. Well, I think we do want to know some stuff, so... Uh, it says, a new set of report from Entertainment Weekly reveals that one episode will feature... The Battle of Winterfell, pinning human allies against the army of the Night King. It will bring together the most major Game of Thrones characters in one place since the show's first episode and is apparently expected to be the longest specific battle single it's ever committed to film. The wording that is interesting, EW says the episode will be the longest battle single it's not included, which implies the battle will take up to the entirety of its runtime. Okay. With some episodes this season expected up to run up to 90 minutes long, that could be very considerable. Uh, let's see, they got a saying requiring. Oh, yes, go up here. It said like a little had a video about a teaser. But it says some, but definitely not all of the characters involved are Jon Snow, uh, Daenerys Targan, Targan, uh, Tyrion Lannister, Arya Stark, Sansa Stark, and Barony of the Tarth. It's also definitely not the series. Uh, finale, which will be directed by showrunners David Banoff and David West, and whose details are far more under wraps, to the point where only approved crew members with bespoken episode six badges were allowed on set. Let's sit here, Mike. That's requiring eleven weeks of night, requiring eleven weeks of night shoots, and up to seven hundred fifty cast and crew members. The episode sounds like it may be also the most exhausting in Grant. In Game of Thrones history, to the point where director Miguel Semenich apparently uh, phoned actors uh, a year in advance to tell them to prepare. We've heard of that about this episode before when uh, assistant director Jonathan Quanley posted a note thanking cast and crew for 55 nights' work. He said, Now we know why he said that the shoot was far something that he's never been done before. He says, That's as for uh, what actually happens in the battle, we're understandably less sure on that. Co-executive producer Brian Coleman told EW. And then saying there's much more effort in EW's report with some fairly astonishing stories about the effort that went into the episode as others. So we'll play these couple of clips and see what they got. This one's about... Uh, you want to check it out. It's from IGN. It says Game of Thrones Season 8 Teaser Trailer Breakdown. Six big takeaways. So let's take a look. 
The latest teaser for Game of Thrones final season reveals a lot more than just the release date, April 14th by the way. Here are the six big takeaways from this latest look at our return to Westeros. The new teaser is set in the crypts beneath Winterfell. Apart from setting the tone for a season that will see the dead invading the continent, this helps reinforce the idea that Game of Thrones is coming full circle in Season 8. Some of the earliest scenes in the series took place in these crypts, including King Robert Baratheon asking Ned Stark to be his hand, a job offer that proved to have earth-shattering and wall-shattering ramifications. As Jon Sansa and Arya pass by statues of dead family members, including Lyanna, Catelyn, and Ned, we hear crucial bits of dialogue related to Jon spoken by those characters. It all reinforces just how important Jon is to the coming fight, but also serves as a somber reminder of how quickly Jon and his siblings have been forced to grow up and carry on the Stark family legacy in the absence of their elders. Jon, Sansa, and Arya's paths eventually converge in a spot where they're confronted by three statues of themselves. Is this a hint that the remaining Starks will perish in the battle with the White Walkers? Unlike Sansa and Arya's statues, which depict the characters exactly as they appear in this scene, Jon's statue appears to be older. Could this foreshadow that only Sansa and Arya will die in battle with the White Walkers, while Jon will live on and rule over Winterfell in the aftermath? It seems significant that the final season's first real teaser is focused on the Starks and not on Daenerys or the Lannisters. While Jon's lineage is the focal point of the scene, it also calls back to the iconic line we heard at the end of season 7 when Arya and Sansa made peace. When the snows fall and the white winds blow, the lone wolf dies, but the packs rise. Despite the ominous nature of the statues, perhaps the teaser is saying that as long as the Starks stick together, they'll be safe from the encroaching frost. The feather in the teaser serves as an important callback to previous episodes of the series. The feather was first seen in the series premiere, with King Robert placing it before the statue of Lyanna Stark during his visit to Winterfell. And again in Season 5, during a scene where Littlefinger and Sansa discuss the history of Lyanna Stark and Rhaegar Targaryen. Given how closely associated the Feather is with Lyanna Stark and Jon Snow, the Feather's presence reiterates just how crucial a role Jon will play in saving Westeros. He's clearly, finally, about to learn the truth of his heritage, and that will have major repercussions for the final episodes of this series. There's one surviving Stark sibling who's conspicuously absent in this teaser. Bran is nowhere to be seen. Could it be that we're meant to view this sequence as a vision Bran is experiencing in his role as the Three-Eyed Raven? The Feather could be a nod to Bran's unseen presence as much as it is a callback to past episodes. The fans have speculated that Bran somehow could be the Night King, and the Feather freezing could be a symbolic tease towards that fate. If there is some literal truth to the events unfolding in this teaser, then maybe Jon, Sansa, and Arya will find themselves as the last three Starks defending the North from the White Walkers, and potentially against their own family. Those are the biggest takeaways from the new Game of Thrones teaser. Did you see anything we didn't? Let us know in the comments, and for more on Game of Thrones, watch Gwendolyn Christie and Nikolai Koster-Waller really. cast to take our dead character quiz. And as always, be sure to follow and subscribe wherever Follow and subscribe. Alright, this next clip is uh, Game of Thrones Caesar. It says, What Selene and Ezra first meeting? Okay. Uh, 
I just have a spoiler alert, so maybe you wouldn't want to see hear that one. Let's see, this is yeah. Uh we'll just go for, we'll just go with that one. Oh, yep. Totally excited for April for that Game of Thrones. Should be great. Alright. Now uh I got some local news I could show here. That's pretty interesting for good for my local town. We have here it's at a high school I went to, Belton High School. It says, Belton High School students use virtual reality to learn history. So we got a history list for you motherfuckers. <laughs> it says, Belton High School. Let's see. This makes me lose. Maybe it's low in a video. Why well, a local high school oh, yeah, is students. using a unique method to teach their students about history. Texas Today's Maria Aguilera went to Belton High School to learn about the technology they're now using. Good morning, Maria. Good morning, Heidi and Chris. Well, the students at Belton High School are learning in ways that we definitely didn't when we were growing up. So I visited them during one of their lessons and got to see how they're using technology to learn history. These students at Belton High School are in one of four Holocaust classes in the state of Texas. And they're learning about history in a unique way by using technology. It's just invaluable because I can't slide them all over the world, but I can bring those experiences to them with virtual reality. These are called Nearpod virtual reality headsets. They can take you anywhere around the world. So Belton High School students took a trip to two concentration camps without even leaving their classroom. This is what students saw when they put on their headsets. For many of them, this was their first time using virtual reality in a classroom. And when you can see it, you hear about it, it becomes a lot more real. Rather than just, you know, like, oh, reading a textbook. The Belton Educational Enrichment Foundation awarded 20 grants to nine different campuses, and Belton High School was one of them. They received $2,300 for this technology in the fall of 2018. It makes me feel very, I don't know, thankful or like, because I know some kids probably don't get this opportunity. Some students say they still like using textbooks, but this is a more interactive way of learning that not many students get to experience. It makes me feel kind of privileged that I get to see these things firsthand without having to go all this certain way and spend all this money, but I can just sit right here at this school and just see what people have to go from day to day. Yeah, that's pretty cool visual. Virtual reality in their lessons. That's amazing. I mean, especially, you know, you showed us what they were looking at. It's just amazing what technology is doing these days. Oh, definitely. I think it's so cool, certainly, for a, uh, a heavy topic like the Holocaust. Yeah. You can read about the atrocities right. uh, all day long, and it, it is pretty impactful. But to see it like that and to see the conditions and things like that is, I think it probably makes a deeper impact in these children's uh, lives. And I think it's such a cool way to learn. Yeah, I think it really does. Can you imagine just when you were learning about all of these things, or even if it's geography, going to the different places right. you're learning about? It just from a so, picture it's so different than actually visualizing it's amazing i love it thank you so much maria uh, yeah yeah i remember like the like the year right before i was gonna get out in 2012 they were using like ipads for like learning well are you looking to make good money i'm always looking to make good money now it's the next clip let's see i have a little short article here i say short article uh, it says students are able to tour concentration camps without even leaving the classroom. That's what we're talking about. It says Ben High School students are going beyond the textbooks by using virtual reality to learn history. They have one or four Holocaust classes in the state of Texas, and their way of learning about it is pretty unique. Students can tour concentration camps without even leaving the classroom. 
Rebecca Kendler, the social studies teacher at Belt High School. I uh, don't remember her, so I don't think I had her social studies. Uh, saying to knowledge has really helped the classroom and is just invulnerable because it can't fly over the world, but I can bring their experience to them of the vast reality killer set. It says the Belton Education Enriched Foundation's Beef awarded 20 grant of nine campuses, and Belton High School was one of them. It says says David Orstrick, the vice president at Beef, said Kindler's Social Studies class was awarded $2,300 for the technology. Oh, wow. Says everyone is using technology, and if you can use technology, no help students understand the importance of an event or historical situation that can be helped in their future or sex set. Says with the grant money, the school bought iPods to fit inside the uh, Nearpod virtual reality headset for students like Vanessa Gonzalez, a sophomore at Belton High School. It says it makes me feel very thankful because I know some kids probably don't get this opportunity, Gazella said. Uh, same for many students like senior Tessa Stoneburner. This was their first time using virtual reality in the classroom. It says when you see and hear about it, it becomes a lot more <clears throat> real rather than just reading a textbook, Stoneburner said. It says other students like Brandon Raymond, a sophomore at Belton High School, said they're like using uh, textbooks, but this is more of an interactive way of learning that many students get to experience. So it makes it uh, feel kind of privileged that they get to see these things firsthand without having to go out a certain way and having to spend all the money. But it says, I can't just sit here in the classroom and see what's had people go throughout the day today, Raymond said. It says Kidder says she will continue to implement the virtual reality headsets during her lessons in the social studies classes. Yeah, man, I'm like, if you get like a more first feel of like how somewhat how they actually felt back in the Holocaust, I mean, you know, that's, that's good on them. So... I wish I had that back in the day. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll get into one more. I saw one more. It was pretty good and interesting and local. Let's see if I can find it. Yeah, it's, well, it's kind of an end of a downer, but it's one of Colleen. It says, Colleen shooting victim actually stabbed himself, police said. So we'll see if that's a video too or just an article. Okay, here we go. Uh, I think it's just an article. Okay, we'll check it out. So it was uh, March 2nd. It says, it says, yeah, the main, okay, shrink it to the main article. Says I had a strange roommate a few years ago. This person liked to eat raw pasta from box dinners and cram the boxes under their bed. They were also hiding heroin in the room, so there may have been a criminalization under the bed. They were also hiding heroin in the room, so there may be a Okay, I just repeated that. Yeah. Says what I'm getting at is that I've dealt with a less than fun living situation before, but this story out of clean is something else. I'm guessing who's just yeah, there's what wrote this article. But okay. Saying Christopher Shagrock with her producer partner KWTX reports that a 19 year old man called 911 early Tuesday morning to report that he'd been shot. Turns out that wasn't the case. He'd been stabbed by himself. Says Kayla Brian Kirk reportedly threatened to shoot himself if his female roommate left. I don't know why they had a male male and female roommate presenting. So I guess the roommate had like a love interest. She says she was in the process of packing her things when he reportedly made the threat. And as she tried to leave, he blocked the door of her room. 
That's when the woman says Kirk stabbed himself in the leg and fell to the floor. What the f- Wow. Uh, says when she tried to leave, Kirk allegedly grabbed her and burdenished a gun, threatening to kill them both. Oh. Says at this point, another roommate was able to distract Kirk, allowing the woman to leave. Kirk reportedly followed her outside, though, and was later found hiding behind an air conditioning unit. Says Kirk refused to be taken to a hospital, but did receive treatment for his stab wound. Officers found a Daisy Powerline air gun, which Kirk admitted to owning. However, he said he was too intoxicated to remember if he pointed at anyone. Like the story. Says Kirk remained in the Bell County Jail Saturday afternoon. In lieu of 200 grand, he was charged with aggravated assault with the daily weapon, and records indicate that he has been a motion to revoke his probation. Jesus, man. Yeah, I think I had a little more going on. Looks like they had another roommate, too. They didn't really give more information about that. But 200 grand? That's like... So I'm telling you, man, like, people are crazy, man. I've, I've had a few roommates in my past, but I mean, luckily people that I know. At least are like, maybe people, they don't even really know each other. And clean, that's fact, so. Yeah, best, best be living on your own, people. I know it's expensive, but it's more safe than sorry. But yeah, hopefully that lady's okay. And that dude needs some help. Alright, because so we're going to finish off here for the Google News of the day, and we're going to get into the main topic. We're going to finish up the, uh, Maybe that's the article, sorry. Yeah, finish off the 100 greatest movie robots of all time. So I'm gonna go to the 20s. So we left off the 26th, right? Guide to the Galaxy. I believe, right? Yeah. So we'll get into. If I got into 26, if I got over 25, that's, that's me my fault, but we'll start from 25 and go down. Gonna have from 25, CT Anthron from 2010. It says, this extravagant Indian sci-fi production is yet another spin on Frankenstein, sure, but it's staring, uh, starring robot reveals itself to be one of the craziest, most balls-out powerful characters ever in film. Causing a level of adrenaline drenched mayhem never before seen. Saying, you know what, words are useless. If you haven't, Ever seen this sequence? Don't ask questions. Just block off the next 10 minutes and watch it. I'll be standing by with a smug. You're welcome. I'm going to sip here. Okay. And now we have 24. Which is Ultron, The Avengers, Age of Ultron, 2015. Oh, I remember this. I have seen this movie. Well, I've seen all Avengers. I can't wait. That's uh, so why I speaking of that. I can't wait to see uh, the new Avengers, the four one. I guess it's going to be the final part, right? Which is in April. It's gonna, well, which, which I heard is going to be like over three hours long, which you know, that's going to be harder for me. I'd rather not, you know, try to cram it all in like an hour and a half film or something. But anyway, it says, uh, Ultron is such an iconic villain in comics that he probably have made this list no matter the form he took on the big screen and no matter the time period. But fortunately, Ultron made his debut in 2015, <clears throat> brought to life with all the opponency and power of the modern CGI. And given a similarly realized set of heroes to oppose, regardless of what what one thinks of the Avengers Age of Ultron or of James uh, Spader's voice work, <clears throat> Ultron is one of the most meaningless, well, menacing, as I say, menacing, menacing of movie robots. Even minus the signature villainous uh, rictus of the comics version design. Uh, one assumes uh, Kevin Feige and those guiding the MCU will recognize as they have the Loki that Ultron and really any of the Marvel's arch 
villains deserves a re- recurring role on the screen. Speed is a movie of just watching. I forgot. I just uh, want to plug in this here, as we have more to talk about. I uh, finished watching. I also watched this weekend movie. Watch the Fighting with My Family, as you know. Uh, you marked out there. I do. We're talking about wrestling. It's basically talking about uh, the for, I should say former now because he's retired now. The WWS wrestler Paige. Tell me Mr. Her backstory as a kid, like how she got into the WWE and all that. I mean. I don't know what's already not true in that already, but I mean, one thing was already, I already knew for a fact that it's not true, or how it set up completely, was uh, the end, pretty much, when Paige came out after WrestleMania 30 to face uh, AJ Lee. <clears throat> First of all, I'm like, she, uh, in the movie, like, they made her, like, not even say anything. Like, basically, they made her, like, an underdog. Like, she didn't know what she was doing or anything to get to the major leagues, and then all of a sudden just, you know, came out on top. I mean, they barely showed her, like, in the NXT. Like, they showed her, like, one one match in the NXT with, like, a bunch of models. I'm like... In real life, I'm like... Obviously, she, she was been in NXT for, like, two years. And already NXT champion. But then she can, they're going to think that she's, like... Can't handle her own in, like, the main roster. So... That was, like, a point I didn't like at all. Like... And they... And AJ Lee did... She cut, like, a better promo... Way better promo... In real life than on the movie... And they kind of shorten it up, and they made you know just made Paige like say nothing at all in the in the movie, like her act her you know the girl persona the page, and uh, <laughs> it's just mainly like this star of the rock like I don't even know in real life if even the rock would had even contribute a page like I don't even know if she even met the rock or even after WrestleMania thirty like if he actually gave her the news or family news maybe just been just part of that movie, and I like in the credits it's like saying like oh yeah Paige. You know, became a superstar or whatever, and her brother's still wrestling. Or teaching a uh, tag team wrestling school or whatever. He's still a, ta- he's a tag team wrestler. And then that blind kid that's in the movie, he's like a professional wrestler. And then they have something about The Rock. He's like, oh, yeah, he's active outside of shit. I'm like, why the fuck do you know this? It's like 2019. We already know who The Rock is. Like, that's just putting The Rock... That's just him putting himself over, really. Like, do you know, like that. I mean, it's more about The Rock than anything in this movie. And it, I don't know. There's, I'm sure there's probably a lot of things that's not real in this movie. But anyway, I guess it's more getting towards people who doesn't really watch the wrestling as much. It's pretty much like an underdog story for Paige. Like, this really made her hyped up. This is really not because she's already been professional. But it wasn't it wasn't bad movie, but it wasn't great either. I just give it average, a little bit above average at best. But I mean, it, it did pretty good uh, ratings on our Rotten Tomatoes. Actually, let's take a look back because that came out in February. So let's take a look how it is now. Let's see, it has like the opposite effect of like Alita Balance with that last movie I saw. Let's see, let's take a look here. I know I was trying to get in the robot things, but we're off off topic here. Let's see. There we go. Yeah, the budget was only $5 million, too. Yeah, a lot of people liked it. Uh, the tomato, tomato meter gave it a 92% and the audience scored 88. So I liked it a lot. I mean, it's. I don't think it's for people that actually like. Or know a lot more about Paige, in my opinion. If like you don't know who she was and you're just watching it as a bystander and just watching the movie, I think it's great. But if you know more facts about her, it's you know, it's you can't really take it. You just gotta lose yourself in the movie, I suppose. Uh, another movie I watched too. I forgot to say was like I finally watched uh, Star Is Born. That's one of the movies I watched with a lady friend. I've been one. I didn't want to watch it with myself. That was a great movie. I liked that a lot. I liked that definitely. I liked that better than the. The wrestling movie with Paige. 
I even know I know the Star is Born has been made, remade multiple. It's like the third remake or something of this story. But I mean, Lady Gaga, like, uh, even though it's supposed to be like her, I think it's like her first movie, I guess, and she's already winning, winning the Grammy or she already win the Grammy. Yeah, for this for this movie, one Grammy for this. Yeah, I think it was good. I I did like the uh, shallow song they keep running, but I like that last song better. Like a spoiler alert if you haven't watched the movie yet, where uh, I forgot his name now, but uh, after when he uh, the husband dies, whatever he commits suicide, and then she uh, sings the song in front of an audience that he wrote. Yeah, that was like a really uh, touching song, man. I I'd appreciate. It. I like that song better than the shallow song. So that ending, that ending was like, wow, okay, I can see how. But yeah, those are like the main two movies I watched over the weekend, so. Which, I don't even know what uh, score they gave that. Let's see what they gave it. Let's see if that's better than uh, Flying with My Family. Which I know that was, what, a couple months ago. It's probably not even on the main list right now. Yeah, I'll just search, search it up on Rotten Tomatoes. Let's see, uh... Stars Born. Yeah, it was like Sheldon. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it was... So, there's a 1937 version. Oh, I thought it came in... Tw- no, it's... Oh, it was coming in 18. Okay. Yeah, Bradley Cooper. I, I don't know why I couldn't remember his name for some reason. Yeah, Bradley Cooper. Yeah. Oh, another thing. I didn't suspect Dave Chappelle was going to be too. Looking good on Dave Chappelle, man. That was... That was a good cameo for him. Like, I like that. Surprised me. It's like, oh, shit, Dave Chappelle. Oh, no, we're just fucking... Spoiler. You know I mean? That's in the Spoiler every Dave Chappelle's in the movie. He, uh... <laughs> like, you know, like, Cooper, throughout this movie, he's like, has a really bad alcohol problem. And, like, he just... Dave Chappelle just finds him across this lawn, pretty much, and helps him out of the, gra- out of the lawn. Has a little co- good set for that little scene. It's like, one, two, three... Yeah, four different versions of this movie. So they had the first movie was in nineteen thirty seven, then nineteen fifty four, then seventy six, then eighteen. So I guess they just keep liking this movie. I don't know any of the other actors though, but I'll give a shout out. Like the first movie, nineteen thirty seven was Janet Garner and then uh, Frederick March, and then the seventy six version it was Barbara Streisand. Oh, I heard of her. Then it was Chris uh, Crofasan. I don't know, butchering that name. Then we had the 54, or, oh, that was the 76 version, my mistake. But the 54 version, that was, it was uh, Judy Garner, I've heard of and J- James Madison, Mason. And then we have the version now, was Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. So, we'll see, uh, what the rating of this one is, the newest one. Oh, okay, it gave it, Tomato Meter gave it an 89, as currently as now, 89%, and the audience scored it at 80. So, it was also certified for us, too. That's good. Also, like, how she, like, also didn't like this. I'm like, they, I don't know how it is in the other movies if it changed, but, like, as soon as she, like, became famous, they made, like, made her change her hair completely, which, I don't know, that's when they thought the producers, like, I don't know, fit the image of what a pop star is supposed to, or not really, I guess you would say pop star, it wasn't really, she still sing regular country music, or what it's supposed to look like. I just liked her natural, well, I'll say natural, but, like, how the natural hair, and portrayed in the movie, just the dirty blonde. I liked that better than just, like, straight up fucking bright ass orange. Oh, um, the lady friend liked it. I was like, ah, I don't really care for it. I like just the natural look. But that's what they want to go for, so. But, okay, okay I know it's off, but uh, I just want to touch base with that. We'll get back to the uh, main topic. We've got to uh, 23 now on 
the robot movie list. It says, if it's it, Bob, Maximilian, in the movie Black Hole, 1979. I have not seen this movie. Uh, it says, Disney probably had those giant cartoon dollar signs appear in the front of it. Uh, when it saw the light, little bots, Vincent and Bob, Dallas Lee is certain they had their own Star Wars in stores, in store, I guess. As though the movie eventually became profitable when they ended up, which was uh, the stuff of pure nightmares for children, and earning Disney its first PG rating due to all the death and fire and brownstone. Okay, that's a little known fact. Cool fact. Uh, so not only was Maximilian a terrifying, whirling blade of brandishing robot Satan, but poor innocent uh, Cubot Bob gets his plug permanently pulled. Not helping matters uh, was how cutting edge its new movie tech and F or SFX were. Since totally the black hole may have drastically uh, misfired, but hell, it didn't still scar on the generic of generation of kids. Well, it's more my parents, my parents' generation, but I have to ask them if they actually got frightened in this movie or not. Okay. Now we have 22. It's a little... It says Lisa from Weird Science. I'm guessing this is another female robot. She's got the little 80s throwback with 80s hair and this cut-off white long sleeve t-shirt and these 80s panties, I want to guess. Uh, it says, uh, in the 1980s, yep, supermodel Kelly Lubrock <clears throat> uh, was the fantasy girl for a good chunk of Americans teen boy population. Uh, never heard of her, honestly. But, uh, and while her sex symbol status never developed into anything approaching a sustainable acting career, it did lead to the iconic role of Lisa in 1984's Weird Science. Technically speaking, it's hard to discern whether or not Lisa even is a robot, considering her creation primarily involved hooking a doll up to a government <laughs> computer system, which somehow uh, ends up spinning out a real-life female due-to-ever-reliable movie trope that is the convenient power surge, still with the ability to jump demalarize at will conjure up kick-ass rides and a snap and transform people into talking piles of feces the fuck uh, she definitely she's de definitely more than human and though 30 years later the idea of two put upon young men inventing an, an ideal woman for their own pleasure carries a host of problematic questions the films beyond goofy tone manages to uh, make the promise digestible plus it's not as though Lisa exists solely as cheesecake, uh, displaying both a vibrant personality and animating intelligence. She is, as Lee Brock once suddenly said, Mary Poppins with breasts. Uh, I can see that, I guess, with that 80s haircut. Or hairstyles, I'd say. No. And then we have 21, Jack, or Jet Jaeger. Uh, in the movie Godzilla vs. Uh, Megalon in 1973. I have not seen this movie, but this looks cheesy as fuck, of course. That's old Godzilla movies were. That says, okay, oh, Jet Yeager's you goofy <laughs> Japanese monstrosity, you, this giant flying robot, uh, Keiju, sprang quite literally from the imagination of a small child and elementary school student who won a contest to design a new Keijo for. Tayo Corporation, or companies, I say, the makers of Godzilla. The result was Jet Jaeger, something of a ripoff of the popular Ultraman series, a uh, size changing humanoid robot who battles Megalon. Megalon. I thought it was like Megalodon at first, the way it's looking like. 
says a giant beetle-like monster unleashed against Tokyo by an underground kingdom. The film wasn't actually supposed to feature Godzilla, but he was added in the last minute when uh, Toyo questioned whether Jay Yeager would be able to be carry a feature on his own. Says the actual film, though barely touches on Godzilla at all, it's totally the Jet Yeager show. Complete with the awesomely cheesy Jet Yeager theme song, his colorful presence and flashy finding moves go a long way towards making Godzilla vs. Megalon. Megalon, what is weird fucking name of this, the most silly cartoonish entry in the entire Godzilla series, which saying something. Yeah, really. Because this doesn't even look like Godzilla, or this, or this frame is like facing somebody else, I guess. It's kind of hard to tell with this still frame. And then we have 20, The Borg, and uh, The Borg with the movie Star Trek First Contact, 1996. I have not seen this movie. It says the biggest heavies from Star Trek, The Next Generation, and a big part of the show. Uh, it says able to emerge from the long uh, shadow cast of the original series. Uh, a civilization ending cybernetic zombie collective that was The Borg made... The warp jump from the small to the big screen, the next gen's uh, crew second theoretical outing. It says though uh, nowhere near as scary of a wing as they were in that TV series, uh, Seminole Part Two partner, the the best of the both worlds. <clears throat> they were still undoubtedly the best choice of villain from the show that the producers could introduce to a larger movie audience. Sneaker here on the series from the screw engaging twenty fourth century fer- uh, federation defenses. It says the board became how traveling stealth stealth and simulators and the collective instead emerged in first contact as a sexy metal villain Borg queen so even if they lost the novely in the edge they originally had the uh, seed of their original concept as the horrific uh, cube shape embodiment of galactic manifest destiny was still more or less intact freedom was still in relevant residence says yeah it's still futile okay And then we have 19, Wally and Eve and more in the movie Wally 2008. I have seen this movie. Wow, it doesn't even seem like it's from 2008. That's already that old. That's crazy. Already 11 years old. I'm surprised they haven't made a second movie. Uh, seen the first half of Pixar's first look into the future was mesmerizing. As a lone robot made the best of his post-apocalyptic world, finding purpose in cleaning all the messes, ships and a cockroach and beauty among the trash when he's whisked away to a traveling cruise ship filled with the sloth-like human refugees from Earth. Because <laughs> they're all fat. Uh, it starts to feel a little more like a cartoon than a vision. But by then we've already fallen for this mechanical janitor and his badass girlfriend, Eve. Yeah. That's, yeah. Definitely recommend that movie if you're a Pixar fan. If you haven't seen it. Uh, then we have number 18, Rachel, Priest, Leon, Koblitz, and Zora from the movie Blade Runner. I have seen this movie. Definitely, definitely recommend this movie. I've seen both Blade Runner movies, so. Uh, it says Blade Runner's Molly collection of replicate fugitives run the gamut of assigned labor duties, but they're all figured out. The off-world life sucks. And the cruelly shortened lifespan inherent to the design sucks even more. Yeah, they're mur- the murder is all right. But they've not only fighting oppressions, they're fighting for just a little more damn survival. It says, as for the android Hunter Decker, which is Harrison Ford, also recommended from Star Wars, uh, he's really nothing more than a 21st century slave catcher. Okay. And then we have 
17. The uh, Jaegers. Uh, it says Gisby, Danger, Cherno, Alpha, Crispy, Typhoon, Striker, Striker, Ekron, and the movie Pacific Rim. Rim. 2013, I have seen this movie. Not the best. And the second one wasn't really that good as well. Uh, saying, uh, Good Romero, Del Toro's hypersized tribute to the often intertwined giant robot in the Kanjai Generals is a masterclass in cool looking giant robots with fucking three SMH marks in here. This is a feature mechanical behemoths are gloriously realized in a film that is less homage. The long-awaiting realizations of what directors like Hiroshiro Honda were envisioning back uh, back before the days of CGI and $150 million budgets. As for which robot is best to sleek uh, triple-arm crunching typhoon in the solid, risky-flavored Cherno Alpha, the analog chain... Sword wielding Gypsy Danger or the freshly minted Asa Helm Striker Erica, your choice probably reveals something more important about you. And then we have 16, which is Mega Godzilla. This is in the movie Godzilla vs. Mega Godzilla, 1974, which is basically like robot Godzilla versus original Godzilla. Still a species of buck. <laughs> It says, among the legions of forgettable uh, Japanese keiju, Mecha Godzilla stands out primarily because he's a total badass, especially considering that he's simply a plate swap of the original Godzilla in, into a robotic form. One might think he's, he'd be one of the big G's of less <laughs> interesting foes, but the opposite is true. Short of the three-headed dragon, Gorigra, Mecha G is probably Godzilla's true arch-enemy, a foe who never goes down easily and has... On several occasions, totally overwhelmed the King of the Monsters, which his frightening era of weapons in his first appearance, particularly uh, Mechagodzilla's runs, rove shot over over three opponents at the same time. Godzilla, Archimedes, and King Caesar, and later appearances in the series, the popular keiju was repurposed into a battlecraft of Japanese or Japan's defense forces, giving him a new Power Rangers or Voltron-like appeal. No matter his appearance, though, Metro Godzilla is constantly the greatest of all giant robot keiju. Okay. And then we have 15, Cambot, Gypsy, Tom Zero, and Crow, I guess. And uh, in the movie MST3K, the movie, 1996. I've now seen this movie. It says, thank God for MST3K, the movie, which gives us a reason to include... The satellite of Love Crew on this movie robot list, the funniest robot in TV history, are an electric bunch of desperate and nonsense personalities and designed children of the mind of original host Joe Hawkson, who created most of the original designs from junk in his basement. The silent Cambot often overlooked their airheaded gypsy with her uh, innocence and love for Richard Bayshart. The culture and intellect, Tom Servo, long-suffering in the companies of lesser minds, and of course, the snarky, sometimes naive, or naive, increasingly jaded Crow-T robot. Without the steady hand riffing along in the theater, Joel and later Mike would surely have gone mad the first time they were exposed to the likes of the castle of Few Manchu or the Beast of Nyoka Flats. Why even debate one host versus other when the robots are MST3K's most beloved and lasting contributions to pop culture? Uh, 
since no matter who was voicing the crow or Tom, their incredibly well-written humor made MS33K's one of the most funniest TV series of all time. And we have 14, my boy three or C3PO from Star Wars 1977. It says, sure, C3PO's diminutive buddy R2 due to Oh my god, fucking cannot talk today. R2D2 gets all the glory, escaping with the Death Star plans, saving our heroes from death by trash compactor, X-Wing ride-alongs, and timely lightsaber ejections, etc., but that doesn't mean a certain protocol droid who is fluent in over 6 million forms of communication isn't one of the film's most iconic and important robots in the histories of film. Unidentified status is a glorified Wookiee backpack, <laughs> notwithstanding. Anthony Donnell's voice work is in its own way as important to the film as James Earl Jones, though. Grant, a vicious prissy human will never be as popular as deep threatening Sith Lord. Nonetheless, C-3PO strike is a blow for non-threatening robots everywhere with his role in the Star Wars films. Along with his trash can-sized companion, C-3PO is probably among the most universally recognizable robot on this list. Yeah, that's a fact. And we have 13, LT Commander Data from the movie Star Trek Generations. I have not seen this. I mean, I know Star Trek, but I haven't seen this movie in particular. No, Saying like the board, Data's silver screen manifestation didn't exactly match the much-beloved android from the TV series. Instead of following his long-developed trajectory of attempting and generally failing hilariously to understand the human conditions... Uh, Rick Berman and company decided to cheat and reduce emotions to the character via a physical upgrade. While the abrupt change did manage a couple of fun moments, it says, I admit I got a kick out of Dan Dana's delight at scanning for life forms. It still robbed him of the identity of discovering his humanity of his own. Luckily, in the some Queen at films, they would walk this development back. In first contact, he could switch it on and off, and in a section, he could remove it. And Nemesis, it's never even mentioned. Speaking of which, uh, let's never ever speak of the Nemesis again. In the end, though, it's still, still mostly be uh, Brent Spiner data of seven years prior character's growth, and data is extraordinary, unique, really within and outside of the Trek universe. Okay. Then we have Robocop slash Alex Murphy in the movie Robocop, 1987. I have seen this movie. I can't tell you, like, beginning to end this movie, but I know this series new Robocop is. It says, uh, Paul Verhaven's painful, hilarious in excitement of 1980s uh, privatization and news media as entertainment was so incredibly present, particularly in its uh, representation of future Detroit. It is almost overwhelms how iconic a central figure became. Peter Weller absolutely nails the Pedras and Patter of a slaughter cop resurrecting as a newer, friendlier face-off corporated own law enforcement. And the look is so classic, even those whose idea was this. 2014 remake couldn't bear to mess with it, much really only giving him a new paint job, and for that at least I can say to the pre-trail remake loop, and that is Hollywood. Thank you for your cooperation. Okay. Then we have number 11, Ash, from the movie Alien, 1979. I have seen the movie, because I've seen all the Alien and uh, Predator, uh, Alien and Predator movies in the Alien vs. Predator series. All the things I haven't seen like that is like the new Predator movie, which I heard sucked anyway, so. But anyway, saying Ash is one of the scariest movie androids, not because he is the most physical, imposing, or the most technologically advanced, 
It's because he seems to be cautious of how he's been programmed to behave and happens to agree with it. And the Wayland Iwatani Corporation made certain ash protected his sturdy little hidden directive. And he does so almost immediately. And his fellow crewmates one by one became exomorphed in Kuberes or Chow. He might even help along the whole expendable crew thing. Okay. And here number 10. Top 10, you guys. We have the T-1000 Terminator 2 Judgment Day, 1991. I have seen this. I have seen all the Terminator movies, except for uh, Salvation, because yeah, I'm not going to bother with that. <laughs> Uh, it says they're unstoppable killing machines, and then they are like hopelessly unstop- unstoppable killing machines. The T-1000 is basically an over-involved super predator, a nigh-invulnerable, intellectually adaptive weaponsmith with uh, with perfect camouflage, played with icy menace and perfection by Robot Patrick. Uh, mixed with SFX, that impressively almost 25 years later, their uh, reasons expect... Human resistance following Judgment Day isn't completely bond if uh, Skynet had been able to manufacture a few more of these very bad boys. Okay. Very article about that. We have number nine, Miura slash Futurura in the movie Metropolis, 1927. I have not seen this movie. Since saying Fritz Lang, Metropolis is a groundbreaking landmark of not just the silent age of cinema, but all about all science fiction. Its metrics and cinematic achievements are far too numerous to list here, and its fluence on all film efforts almost too great to comprehend. Its futuristic slash decode production design is breathtaking to this day, and its dramatic social themes as relevant as now it was 88 years ago. As for these reasons, that the uh, master estimates Maria's robot double can't help but he ranks so highly, even though she really or she doesn't actually do much in the story. Apart from making men fight to the death to win her favor, it's a good talent, sure, but one that probably doesn't require anything uh, interestingly uh, robot. Okay. And then we have number eight, the Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz, 1939. That's <laughs> a little cool still frame of him, fucking like, have steam coming out of his, his head. Uh, saying, OG of movie robots, the Tin Man, or Tin Woodman of Arthur L. Frank Burl, Berman's wonderful Wizard of Oz, set the bar for sentencing-seeking beings. All he wants is a heart. Due such a nakedly human desire for connection sends him on his tentacolorical way, along with Dorothy and, it says co, I guess it means companions, to track down the, the whiz. Gaining him new friends in the process, the Tin Smith forgot to give him a heart. <laughs> he laments, of course, the Tin Men play with aching serenity by Jack Haley. Already has one. He's applied to Pierce Motion Compass for the iconic course journey. He simply doesn't realize it. In fact, he just may be the most human of the bunch and a prominent example of an early on screen identity crisis. The Tin Men's dilemma waxes, phallos, physical. On more than one level, his offenses on the heart contrasting with the uh, Scarecrow's obsession with a brain slash mind decades before the robot art type would reach peak movie meta. With his lo-fi, ironic rust case on the surface, a clinging, clagging, clattering collection of clatterness and junk, 
wanders over it with heart, his hearts of gold. All right. Then we have Bishop from the other again with the movie, uh, movie Aliens from 1986. Uh, we have it says Bishop. Excuse me. May have been assigned to Ripley and the colorful crew of space marines by the same ethnically malarable Wayland Utenemy Corporation as his predecessor, Ash, but there is an important difference. Like Ash, Bishop is clearly fascinated with the lethal aliens and obeys his directive to study them. Unlike Ash, however, Bishop never really puts that volunteers for the uh, dangerous job remaining fully constant to the parameter himself. He says, believe me, I'd rather not. I may be synthetic, but I'm not stupid at the, at the end. He even makes a judgment call that could only be characterized as foolishly brave when he bets his own life. Hicks in the mission on the courageous hair-raising rescues of our Heron and little girl. Okay. And then we have the T-800 Terminator 1984. My boy, Arnold Schwarzenegger. So that's a T-1000. Maybe far more technology advanced and your Brenner's gunslinger may have come first, but there really ain't no substitute for 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 Ed Knowles time traveling uh, human skin cover weapon for our future machine overlords his target is the mother of the future's residence leader John Connor but unlike the young leader himself there is no robotic bodyguard for poor Sarah Connor just the haunted show of a future machine fighting human even though that human is Michael Bain you can only really uh, keep chipping away at the T-800 skin as you flee and he's just Exorbitantly tracks you down, or tracks you. Says, "Don't stop running. You can't hide from it. Even inconvincibly, he um, doesn't work because, as we all know, he'll be back." Yeah, yeah. And then we have number five. This is Robbie the robot uh, from the movie Forbidden Planet, nineteen fifty-six. I've not seen this movie. As is on a slight modified version of this list. Robbie will be number one. Simply put, there's no other movie robot so prolific from his appearance in the Forbidden Planet on. Robbie and it's, uh, Robbie says it's, yes, Robbie Winkley, the suggestion of gender. There's <laughs> 30 plus appearances in the film and TV means that there's no other robot by design or by name whose very image of retro future is unquincident. It's uh, lumber slowly. It has limited personality, but or it says, what does Robbie have? Other than incredible culture influence, is a simple. If our space program had continued taking utmost precedence and or as it had when Robbie was a mere movie prop, it's safe to say it would be the director representative of robotics now, and we may be further along for it scientifically, of course. <laughs> and then we have, of course, another Star Wars reference. We got to have also R two D two as his own little article and the nineteen. It's talking about the original Star Wars, 1977. Uh, it says, so yeah, this guy, I mean, seriously, this guy, the little R2 unit that could fulfill or fulfills more mission-critical work in the original trilogy than any of your so-called heroes. He even gets the almost-killed-in-the-line-of-fire arc usually reserved for protagonists and their closest friends in the first film. So sure, he's a bit of convenient uh, Swiss Army plot device that lightsabers got to be hidden somewhere. After all, and what do you expect a protocol droid to unlock detention cells and turn off trash compactors? It says police, but along with his uh, mar- markedly non-human 
humanoid design comes a simple truth. R2-D2 is one of the more human characters in the franchise. He's stubborn, detective, brave, and yet can't have his feelings hurt all the time, or all the same. Suck it, all of you other inferior R2 units. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely an asshole as well. He's definitely, definitely have human characteristics. And then we have number three, Gort, the, in the movie The Day the Earth Stood Still. 1951. Uh, I've heard of this movie. I mean, it's been quoted a few times, but I've never watched this movie, of course. It says, let's cut right to it. Gort represents mankind's self-issue, total destruction. The day the earth stored still covers everything we think it is important in our lives. From uh, family drama to political squabbling and pissing on our country's beholders. Alien mercenary Klaatu only arrived to warn all of Earth that the threat of its uh, ultimate age has put a planet-sized bullseye on us. Only to discover mankind's pity, eternal external power. Struggles constantly uh, undermine the greatest uh, peril at his doorstep. And despite a nuisance sympathy group of humans at Film Center, Gort is the uh, ultimate cure to exophobia and selfishness in general. The robotic peacekeepers, Gort belongs to our pitiless but fair. Says you were ma- uh, you will maintain the peace among yourselves, or we will do it for your savages. Okay, in that case, you better know the password. Alrighty. And then we have number two, The Iron Giant, in the movie The Iron Giant. In 1999, I've seen this movie. It's a pretty good movie. It's voiced by Vin Diesel, <laughs> even though the Yogi barely talk in this movie. Uh, it says there, it's an animated movie, by the way. For people that don't know this movie, I definitely recommend this movie. <clears throat> it's definitely a 90s movie for sure. Uh, it says there's uh, so little to say beyond what. Brad Bird's tear-jerking nature versus nature film didn't so effortlessly express. The Iron Giant of the title is any of us when confronted with a difficult choice. You may be a sur- soldier, and you do what you do, presses little to fault and fulfilling your role, as long as it holds up in a turmoil. The character of Mansley is that man who will stand on that earthly distinction, but the domestic alien robot would take the high road, and if you have any fucking soul at all, you broke... Brawl possibly at the end, or ball possibly pretty much you would just cry at the end, because it can be so difficult to imagine yourself being a as noble a soul as a giant machine. Yeah, that's not saying that. Definitely has everything you need, emotionally in a movie, I would say. And then we have the number one out of the whole 100 great movies of all time. It is of course back to a movie we've already talked about, and that's Blade Runner, and the robot is Roy Beatty. It says Blade Runner may star Harrison Ford in the peak of his his most super superbly Harrison Fordness, <laughs> but it's ideally Rucker Horror's Nexus Six model android Rebel leader Roy Batty, who leaves a permanent mark on the audience's psyche. His Batty more than any other character in this sci-fi masterpiece embodies the sweeping psychological and thematic un- underpinning both both satire and gross of Willie Scott's loose adaptation of Philip K.'s Dick's Do. And was dream of electric sheep. Okay. It says Badly truly burned twice as brightly as his creator, Ellie Terrell, throwing off the sackles of his slave existence, leading his follow skin jobs like Moses to the promised land. Unless Moses, however, Roy was angry as hell at his maker and by Tyrell, he was going to be heard by his own admission. He's done questionably things, and there's the whole uh, killing spree getting to and on earth. 
But he is, in his core, a man with nothing to lose, giving his uh, terminally uh, limited lifespan. That is until he feels what real loss is when his fellow android and lover, Pris, is retired by Hunter of Renegade Androids, Decker, which is Ford. Uh, there are greater things to fear than dying. Roy Bader has seen things you people wouldn't believe. One can kill God and still show mercy, but unfortunately, history will forget this too. No matter how long any one lifetime, no matter how brightly it burns. All right, that's a great article to leave by. All right, guys, we have finished off the 100 greatest movies of all time. I think it was a good list, guys. So what do y'all let me know? What y'all think? What do y'all think is the best robe of all time? I currently wish Bender was in this list, but he's not in this list. So, but I think it was a good, a uh, good list. I mean, there was definitely a lot of movies in here that I did watch that would agree about on this list. You guys were included here. We hope that you see y'all next week. Uh, we hope you, whatever you're listening on the podcast, whether it be Google Play or iTunes, we hope you give them five star reviews. Y'all be sure to check out other plugins as well. And we'll see y'all next week, guys. This is DJ Stash of Topics on the Pod. We'll see y'all next time. Play my outro. Peace. Down the years it's been a ride And now I'm sorry I'm all it's not in tonight And on and on as we go we seem to fight But baby that's just the way we love And only in the dark do we see our sunlight Home is where we were Home is where we want to be And yes we don't have time to say goodbye and this ain't the last time Now this time before we go Raise your hands, raise your toes Time is something special Just like love before it starts to snow It's crazy how the years have gone Memories are the drug we're on But darling, just remember That there's never a goodbye There's There's never a goodbye
come back home Show me where you've gone So we can ride the storm